Good evening. It is 5 p.m. and you're listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 11.9 FM, broadcasting from Kingston, Ontario. This program is brought to you by CFRC's News Collective, Christina Laurie, Dinah Jansen, Erica Singh, Zayden Vergara, and Chloe Paris. Today in YGK is also brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and the Screening Room at ScreeningRoomKingston.com. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, and here are your local news headlines. On Tuesday, January 9th, community members gathered at Centre 70 to envision the future of Lemoyne Point Farm. The meeting was announced last week by Save Lemoyne Point Farm, a group that came together after the passing of previous owner Mary Fraser in 2022. The group believes that it is important to conserve this farmland and waterfront so close to the heart of the city, and invited community members to attend the meeting and imagine the best future for the farm. The 75 available spots were quickly reserved, and many more people wishing to attend were on the wait list. Despite inclement weather conditions, over 60 people attended the meeting. The meeting was full of new ideas, with attendees bringing a wide range of expertise and no shortage of passion for the cause. To talk about the meeting, I sat down with Jim B.I.G., a member of the Save Lemoyne Point Farm group. Here's what he had to say. And just to give some background on the farm, of course, um, it's a fixture in the community and also uh, a really important site of nature and biodiversity. Why has it been in limbo for such a long time? Sure. So um, it actually was in active farming use for many years until probably about three or four years ago uh, and um, has been in private hands. Uh, in fact, as was the entire peninsula, Lemoyne Point, um, historically, uh, and the um, conservation area, the airport, the what we call the Weatherall property, which is just south of the airport, has all been in transition over uh, these many years. The farm itself, uh, about 33 hectares or 82 acres, has been in private hands and was actively farmed, including uh, animals and uh, grains, uh, for um, uh, many years and, and up, up to about 2016-2017. Absolutely. And uh, since the last owner passed away, I believe it's hasn't gone up for sale, but it's been in a bit um, of an uncertain position. Yeah, so the the owner did not have any offspring, and the estate now holds the property uh, with uncertain uh, uh, current situation. I know, so some of us on the Lamont Save Lemoyne Point Farm Group, which consists of seven people, five of whom are actually in the area near the uh, farm, uh, some of us knew Mary Fraser prior to her death in um, a year and a half ago, April 2022, and she did have wishes to preserve the farm and pre- preserve the forests and the shoreline but this was apparently not uh, spelled out in her will and she did not donate the land uh, and so this currently the, the, the current status is that the farm is with the estate now uh, it has been uh, approaching two years since her death and at this point the status of the farm is unknown because it is with the estate. We do know that the city, uh, uh, including most of the councillors and the mayor, Patterson, have expressed interest in the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, um, the city has uh, several plans, but one, one of the uh, plans about Waterfront goes back to the, the, the planning document of 2016, where they actually described the farm as a... a a piece of land that is of interest. 
Jim got into a few of the ideas that were presented at the meeting. Uh, the tables were asked to uh, brainstorm ideas for the farm. So the the audience consisted of a, a younger to older people, uh, people with lots of government experience, people with farming experience, uh, indigenous experience as well. So the the variety of ideas um, was was exceptional. And even though the Save Lemoyne Point Farm Group has been together and meeting for the you know since you know May of 2022, essentially, uh, there were new ideas that we hadn't even thought of, which was really exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. And as a group, it must have felt amazing to see that the community was just as um, passionate about this as you guys are, for sure. I, I like the word passionate. You're right. Th there, there were no people in the room suggesting that we turn it into a wind farm or uh, 20 residential properties. I, I think everyone in the room was concerned that the land should be preserved in some form for public access or for natural uh, uh, purposes. So some of the ideas that came out, for instance, included uh, a, a teaching farm for, for students and, and, uh, and, and local residents and, and also a way of generating local food supply. Uh, another idea was somehow uh, uh, looking at the buildings, whether they could be considered for uh, use as educational venues. Uh, indigenous uh, uh arts and, and culture uses was considered um, public access, for instance. So, you know, a simple idea would be, for instance, for the uh, conservation area just north of it to be extended to include the farmland. That was just a bit of what Jim had to say about last week's meeting. To listen to the full interview, you can tune in tomorrow at 5 p.m. on Kingston Currents or after 5 p.m. tomorrow, find the episode on our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca under Kingston Currents. At the last City Council meeting, councillors were presented with the 2022 Corporate Greenhouse Gas Emissions Inventory, which revealed that the city unfortunately fell short of the 2022 GHG emissions reduction target. The city's 2022 corporate GHG emissions totaled just over 22,000 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. This represents an 8% reduction from the 2018 base year, but falls short of the 2022 target of 15%. Three members of environmental organization 350 Kingston took to the podium to speak to the report, explaining some of the ways in which Kingston is lacking, urging the city to set higher goals and take the steps necessary to reach them. So I am wondering how it is possible that the report you will be receiving later this evening on the corporate emissions inventory shows that the city has fallen far short of its target to reduce emissions. That's disturbing enough, but since the city emissions comprise only 2% of the total emissions of the Kingston community, we all have a much bigger nut to crack and not much time left to do it. Every job is a climate job. We have elected people that we hope are up to the task of making the tough decisions to face this crisis. I believe the city has staff who have the necessary skills to create a more aggressive emissions reduction plan. The city workers who drive the buses or clear the sidewalks should know their jobs are climate jobs. They help Kingston citizens reduce their carbon footprint. And we need leadership, councillors, and senior staff, maybe the president of Queen's, should be riding bikes or using the bus or actively promoting that. And finally, in my view, we need a participation level. Remember
member participation, a participation level campaign to get the residents of Kingston on board with a whole suite of actions related to, to emissions reductions. Society will either realize that the climate emergency is an emergency right now, requiring immediate action, or we will continue falling behind on meeting our reduction targets and likely trigger runaway global warming, global heating. As the political leaders of our city, you have a daunting responsibility going forward from today. Our city has a choice. We can reduce our emissions by small amounts every year and miss our modest targets, or we can embrace the new economy. Council discussed the report at length. Councillors eager to seek innovative ways to reduce the city's emissions and take stock of what is working so far. Through questions, Council reached beyond the numbers and some important context was given to the report. Importantly, it was noted that this report did not account for the increase in population and a lot of work done in the past few years will yield results in the future, despite not being reflected in this report. You know, I think this is the report, the average footprint for buildings operated by facilities, you know, on a per footprint basis, they were pretty close to the 15%. They were 13.8% reduction. Uh, and when you also consider on a per capita basis, um, compared to, to 2018, um, you know, the, it's, the reduction is really around 13%. So, you know, one of the things that wasn't considered when these re reduction targets were made was this 7% population increase. So, you know, if you're considering that per capita basis, uh, it, it's not quite as bad as it seems. So I think that, yes, I do think it's, it's going to see a decrease uh, and we'll just have to wait and, and see what that comes out as. So. I, think, I just want to lay out for the community some of the challenges we have in actually meeting some of our climate change targets. You know, if we did a lot of the stuff that we would like to do tomorrow, today, we're waiting two years before the, this is actually implemented. Thank you. While councillors and delegations were disappointed to not have reached the target, council still made note of the major steps taken in the last few years and are looking forward to continuing work towards a greener future. So similar to some of the delegations we heard tonight, I don't know about the rest of you, but when I read that report, I felt disappointed. Um, so I went digging and I went talking to some of our city staff. I reached out specifically because if in the report you can see fleet services, which includes transit, and facilities are our two biggest emitters as a corporation. So I reached out to fleet and I reached out to facilities to see what I could learn. Um, because I think it's fair to say if it was easy, we would do it. Right, like the, the will is there. Um, obviously, money is a limiting factor, but the, the good news I want to share with council is that after meeting with uh, Mr. Fowler and also with Spiros through facilities, um, we've got incredible staff and we've got some real success stories that we haven't even been told about. So. Part of that conversation was me encouraging them to share some of what's actually happening behind the scenes because there are some real wins here and I was heartened to hear about them. In light of the, the, the lens that um, the presentations presented, more of a dark um, uh, view of things and I, I think that we really do have, as, as Councillor um, Stephen uh, uh, has said, we, we have amazing amount of work being done and I think it's something that we should be proud of and what we're accomplishing. St. Lawrence College and Spaces Shared Partnership creates new affordable housing options for students. 
SLC has partnered with Spaces Shared, an online platform and team that pairs students looking for affordable accommodations with older adults who have extra space in their homes. The partnership will create new housing options for SLC students in Kingston and give older adults a way to leverage a spare bedroom for some extra income, company, and assistance around the home. Plans are to add Brockville and Cornwall in the coming months as well. SLC President and CEO states, quote, I'm thrilled about our partnership with Spaces Shared as it represents an innovative and practical solution to the ongoing housing challenges faced by our students. This opportunity will not only help ease the challenges by connecting our students with older adults who have extra space, it will also create a greater sense of community and belonging for our students and members of our community, end quote. Spaces Shared creates a listing of accommodations, vets each potential host and tenant, and gives ongoing support to make sure the home sharing experience always stays positive for hosts and students. Ryan Kinnan, CEO of Spaces Shared states, quote, there are two pressing housing problems in Canada today. Many seniors need support and companionship as they age in their homes, and students need safe and affordable places to live. So if you're an older adult in Kingston with spaces to share, we encourage you to visit our website and find out if Spaces Shared is a good fit for you. Signing up is easy, quick, and secure. Affordable housing is a significant challenge in Kingston. The challenge can be particularly acute for international students. Home sharing is a proven model that increases the stock of affordable housing, encourages intergenerational relationships, creates extra income for older adults to on a fixed income, helps people age at home, and alleviates social isolation for both hosts and students. Spaces Shared aims to be affordable, and students can further reduce their monthly rent by doing some tasks around the home. Spaces Shared has successful partnerships with Wilfrid Laurier University and Georgian, Humber, and Lambton Colleges. For more information about home sharing through Spaces Shared or to register for a free account as a host or student, you can visit spacesshared.ca. That is all for your headlines this evening, and next up is Zayden Vergara with your Sports Desk. Good evening, everyone. My name is Zayden Vergara, and stay tuned tonight for your CFRC Sports Rundown, featuring an in-depth look at the matchup between your Queen's Golden Gales, who hosted their cross-ten rivals in the RMC Paladins. The first period remained rather quiet with a scoreline of 0-0 as neither team would be able to maintain possession of the puck. Not even a minute into the second period, the Gales would take a cross-checking penalty and the Royal Military College would take a roughing penalty causing for two minutes of 4-on-4 action. This would prove to be enough for Derek Hamilton to bury one in the back of the net, giving the Gales a 1-0 lead. However, RMC would respond within the next 30 seconds, evening the game out 1-1. The physical nature of this engagement would only continue as Queens found themselves shorthanded after a boarding penalty. But while shorthanded, rookie Derek Hamilton would break away from the pack and score a shorthanded goal, giving the Gales a 2-1 lead. The RMC Paladins would continue to get more chippy, taking back-to-back -back penalties late in the second period. During that time, Daniel Michaud would extend the Gales' lead 3-1. The third and final period of action started with number 16, Dalton Duhart, the league's point leader, getting his 14th goal of the season. After a major scruff between the two teams, the door to the bench of the RMC Paladins would break, causing for a 45-minute delay. Once play resumed, RMC would find another goal, but it would not be enough to achieve the full comeback, finishing this game out 4-2. Goaltender Christian Pruvu had 24 shots against only letting in two. Finally, the men are back in action Friday, January 19th, where they will host the Toronto Varsity Blues at the Memorial Center in Kingston. Tickets available at GoGalesGo.com. 
On that note, that's all for your CFRC Sports Action. Now over to Erica Singh with your campus news. Hello, my name is Erica Singh and here are your campus news headlines. Despite the pending opening of the JDOC later this year, students are still in the dark about how the new space allocations within the revamped building will be used. In the first part of an investigative series on the JDOC redevelopment project, the Queen's Journal obtained blueprints for the new structure through a Freedom of Information request, shedding light on the initial plans agreed upon by the University, AMS, and SGPS in 2018 to the 2019 school year. The released blueprints represent the proposed JDOC structure, providing a comparison of space allocations between the original and the redeveloped JDOC. However, both the AMS and SGPS confirm that these blueprints do not reflect the current working plan for the project. The AMS stated that the older blueprints were initial sketches drawn by the architects during the bidding process. The JDOC redevelopment project was approved by a university-wide referendum vote in 2019 and involved a mandatory fee for undergraduate and SGPS students. Undergraduate students agreed to a $40 fee levied annually for two years, which later increased to $0.73.92 from the fall 2021 term onwards. SGPS students paid $45.87 in mandatory fees for the 2023-2024 school year. In the current election season, the Student Life Center fee is up for a vote and the AMS is seeking a $5 increase from the current fee of $38.57 to cover operational costs, citing additional features in new JDOC including a fully functioning HVAC system and a 24-hour building as reasons for the fee hike. To view the blueprints, please visit the Queen's Journal. Next, Queen's has slipped to 16th in the Canadian Research University rankings, according to data released by Research InfoSource. The ranking is based on research income and intensity from the 2021-2022 school year. Queen's' research income experienced a 19.7% decline from the previous year, totaling to a decrease of $182,607. Despite the ranking, the Vice Principal of Research, Nancy Ross, emphasized that Queen's offers ample of opportunities for worldwide recognition. In 2023, Queen's researchers received prestigious awards, including the Vega Medal, Falling Wall Science Breakthrough of the Year in Engineering and Technology, and the Killam Prize. Ross highlighted the significance of research being about people and emphasized the impact on individuals as research grants primarily fund personnel. The university houses two Tier 1 institutions, the Arthur B. Macdonald Canadian Astroparticle Physics Research Institute and the Carbon to Metal Coding Institute. Looking ahead, Ross and her team are developing Queen's strategic research framework for the next five years, focusing on areas such as artificial intelligence and low-carbon future. The plan aims to strengthen global excellence, enhance interdisciplinary connections, and prepare for funding opportunities, especially with Canada joining the Horizon Europe Research Program. Consultants for Queen's next strategic research plan will begin in the spring, intending to prioritize resources, track progress, and showcase Queen's priorities and strengths globally. That's all for me today. Thank you so much. Now over to the weather.
This is your CFRC weather report for Monday, January 15th. For this evening, we're expecting some heavy flurries, local amount being 5 centimeters. Winds will be up to 15 kilometers per hour, we have a low of minus 10 and wind chill minus 15 in the evening. For Tuesday, the 16th of January, we're expecting a high of minus 7, cloudy skies with a 70% chance of snow. For Tuesday evening, cloudy periods with a 70% chance of flurries and a low of minus 13. Next up is your CFRC weekly traffic report. This is your CFRC traffic report for January 12th to 18th. Please note that the winter parking ban is in effect. Motorists are advised that overnight on-street parking is not permitted during the months of January and February. As for road closures, University Avenue, Union to Earl is closed until May 29th for the removal of debris from demolition and concrete deliveries at the Queen's JDOC project. Pedestrian impact Waven Crossing Bridge mid-January 2024. The city is performing some pipe maintenance on the underside of the Waven Crossing. The maintenance is scheduled to take place on January 16th or 17th, depending on the weather forecast. The work is expected to take less than one day's time. The work will not affect vehicle traffic and will have minimal impact on pedestrians. The work will be performed from a bucket truck that will be parked on the Waven's multi-use pathway near the east shore. There will be 1.5 meters of space around the truck to allow for pedestrians to safely cross the work zone. The work zone will have some fencing and a construction person to assist with pedestrian access when needed. In other delays, Queen Street, Montreal to Sydenham, you can expect eastbound lane closure until April 1st, 2024. Detours will be in place for the duration of the lane closure. And now it's time for the CFRC Community Concert and Events Calendar for January 15th to 21st. If you have an event you'd like covered on our website and news programming, contact cfrc.ca. Starting with January 15th, on Mondays at 2.30pm and Wednesdays at 8am is the Recreational Run Club. The club is a beginner intermediate run club for Queen's students or staff members who want to start running, increase their distance, time, or simply find some running buddies. To join, register at gogalesgo.com. Moving on to the 16th, we have a fundraiser exhibition at Union Gallery, an annual fundraiser that features the works of students and professional artists alike in an exhibition in lottery-style draw. Head over any time during regular gallery hours. Enjoy a home-cooked meal at Four Directions Monthly Feast, which will be held at 12 p.m. on the 16th. This event is open to Queen's Indigenous students. The School of Graduate Studies is hosting a resume cover letter workshop on the 16th from 1.30 to 3 p.m. at the Kinesiology Building in Room 101. In this workshop, you'll learn how to use key strategies to highlight your unique skills, knowledge, and experience on your resume or CV. Register for the workshop on Queen's Graduate Studies website. On the 17th, come pet Oscar, our fluffy golden retriever, St. John Ambulance Therapy Dog, and meet his handler, John. Oscar will be at Mitchell Hall Wednesdays on the main floor from 12 to 1 p.m. No registration is required. Feel free to drop in at any point during the hour. On the 18th, Queen's Musical Theatre kicks off their rendition of The Prom, a new Broadway musical comedy. The show starts at 7.30 p.m. at the Rotunda Theatre in Theological Hall. Tickets are $20 for adults and $17 for students and seniors. They can be pur purchased via Queen's Musical Theatre Instagram page. Moving on to the 19th, Ian Garner joins us at Robert Sutherland Hall for a discussion on his most recent book, Z Generation, Into the Heart of Russia's Fascist Youth. This event is entirely free and takes place from 12 to 1 p.m. 
On January 20th, we have a free astrophysics talk and observatory tour. This event, starting at 7.30 p.m. at Ellis Hall, is free and open to all ages. Also on the 20th, from 1 to 3 p.m. at Yellow House, is Queen's BIPOC talk. This week's session will focus on acknowledging self-worth through jewelry making. Are you a trans, non-binary, genderqueer, genderfluid, or any other non-cisgender person who wants a safer place to swim and also meet other students and wider trans community members? Join us on the 21st at 2.30pm for a solidarity swim at the Ark Pool. This event is free and open to the wider Kingston community. For more information and to register, visit gogalesgo.ca. And now moving into our concerts for the week, we start with January 16th. Tom's Tunes Day after, Afternoon Happy Hour Jam returns at the RCHA Club, an open mic jam with Tom Savage and friends where everyone is welcome. This event is free and runs from 4 to 7 p.m. On the 17th, head over to Muziki Cafe and Whiskey Bar at 8 p.m. for their weekly live performance. This week, they have Frank Ryan, and the event is Pay What You Want by donation to the musicians. At the Creekside Bar and Grill, Christopher Jackson will be playing his weekly show from 7 to 9 p.m. This event is all ages and free of cost. Moving on to the 18th, Blue Martini will be hosting Royal Jam Open Mic Night starting at 9 p.m. Over at the RCHA Club, Michael K. Myers will be performing both covers and originals. Doors open at 7 p.m. with a $5 entry fee. Over at the mansion, we have numerous bands performing, including Paperbag Princes, Carnelian, and Revst. Doors open at 8 p.m. with just a $5 entry fee. On the 19th, we have Kiwi Jr. performing with special guest Girl Dad at the Grad Club. Doors open at 7.30 p.m. with the concert starting at 8.30. Tickets are $30 and can be purchased online at eventbrite.ca. At the mansion, Dupo will be forming his first headlining show with support from Hartman. Tickets are $10 and the show starts at 8 p.m. We'll have many live solo performances happening on the 19th, including Bruce McIlroy at the Royal Tavern, 4.30 p.m., the Garvin Brothers at the Toucan at 10 p.m., and Scott Owen at Creekside Bar and Grill at 6 p.m. All these performances are free of cost. On January 20th, the Embassy Live Music Cafe prevents Abby Stewart Band at 7pm. Also on the 20th, head over to the mansion to party with your favourite new and old pop punk and emo songs. The event starts at 8pm and admission is $5. On January 21st at 2.30pm, pianist Janina Fiokowska will be performing at the Isabel Bader Centre and tickets can be purchased at their website. There will be two karaoke nights on the 21st, one at the Royal Tavern at 8pm and one at the Toucan at 10.30. Both events are free of charge. This has been Danielle with your concert and events calendar for January 15th to 21st. Wishing you all a fantastic week. Thank you for tuning in to CFRC's local news programming. To revisit episodes of Today in YGK and hear more from some of our guests, be sure to head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Today in YGK is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the local journalism initiative, Queen's University Career Services, What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street, and The Screening Room at screeningroomkingston.com. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.
Will I Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats and sunglasses, everything to complete your individual look. What'll I Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at What'll I Wear. 